0: Thank you, Daniel and team. Good morning. My name is Andres, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Christ the King, and it's always a pleasure to share God's Word with you. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, to chapter 5, verse 10. It can be found on page 966 in your Black Bibles. <clears throat> hear God's word to you this morning. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage." For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Well, up until this past summer, I hadn't seen my uh, grandfather in over 15 years. Um, He lives in El Salvador. He's 95 years old now, and so he can't really travel much. So it was really something very nice and good for uh, me to be able to take my wife and kids uh, to uh, visit uh, my parents' uh, country of birth over the summer. And while we were there, uh, we heard him tell so many stories, and his mind is just so sharp, and his memory is as great as ever. But we did just uh, find out a couple of weeks ago, actually, I didn't, I didn't even know this, that five years ago, he had undergone surgery, um, They had told him that all of his arteries were blocked, so weren't really letting blood pump to his heart as it should. And they were able to clear one of those arteries up. But we just heard two weeks ago that uh, that remaining artery is now blocked. And so they told him that they would rather not put him under the operating table because of his age. So they sent him home and they told family to just take really good care of him and to look after him very well. And i don 't know um, exactly why I suppose when I heard the news, there was just this incredible sadness that came over me as I started to think about the possibility of my grandpa no longer being here. Um, you know he 's a Christian, so I know that i 'll see him again, whether in this life or the next, and yet it makes me so sad to think that i won 't be able to see him and hear him tell these stories of what I was like growing up, or what kind of trouble my dad and uncles used to get in when they were small, or what, life was, what his life was like growing up in a civil war. Many of us have heard about heaven as this place where every pain and tear and suffering will go away. And that is true. But what I think we've been missing is this full biblical portrait of what that life will actually look like, especially as we suffer here on earth. And so that's what we'll do and look at uh, this morning in three points as we look at this text. First, we'll look at life through death. Those are verses 16 to 18. Then we'll look at life with new bodies. Those are verses 1 through 5. And then we'll look at life here and now. Those are verses six. Through 10. So, life through death, life with new bodies, and then life here and now. So, let's look at the first point life through death. Now, Paul has been writing this letter, 2 Corinthians, to this very small community of Christians in the ancient city of Corinth in Greece about the difficulties of life, everyday life here on earth. He describes it using a variety of different terms, hard pressed, uh, perplexed, uh, persecuted, and struck down. Later on, he'll talk about his own suffering as a follower of Jesus, or because he's a Christian. Uh, He talks about himself uh, as being in prison frequently. He's been flogged severely. He's been exposed to death again and again. He's been tortured, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, in danger from rivers and thieves, spent many sleepless nights, gone hungry and thirsty, been cold and without much clothing. If there was anybody that knew about the painful toil of existence in this life, it was the Apostle Paul. This kind of life, though, has not caught him off guard. It wasn't for him an anomaly. He doesn't complain as if he expected that following Jesus or living this life was supposed to be stress-free, problem-free, without pain or suffering. Quite the contrary. What he has to remind these Christians is that suffering is actually to be expected and produces positive results. Now, sometimes, if we're honest, we find that very difficult to believe. I think one of the reasons is due to the many modern medical and technological advances that we've made as a society. Uh, A couple of years ago in 2020, Australian social researcher Mark McCrindle released some of his findings where he reported on the life of 18-year-olds in 2020. Listen to how he puts it. The youth, the youth of 2020 are part of the most formally educated generation in history, starting education younger than ever and projected to stay in education for longer than ever. As the children of older, wealthier parents with fewer siblings and more entertainment and technological options, it is likely that they will be the most entertained and materially endowed generation of children ever. And so we hear something like that and ask ourselves, what pain? What suffering? Now, another reason is because I don't really think we believe that this life is temporary or as the Apostle Paul will put it here, transient in verse 18. In fact, he describes our lives in verse 16, as wasting away. Now it amazes me, I don't know about you guys, what things are like at home, but in the Zeliah home, it just amazes me how quickly our food, vegetables, fruits, go to waste and spoil. Uh, you know, our kids love to eat all kinds of fruits, so we buy a lot of it, strawberry, blueberry, apples, and banana, Every t- um, so often when I come home from work, I'll look for a banana and it seems like every single time it'll be a 50-50 split on whether or not I'll find a banana that's actually edible, that you can actually use. You know, sometimes we'll find them spoiling, going to waste. You can't even pick it up because it'll just, you know, rip open to, to be super soggy and just turning brown. That banana has slowly been wasting away. Our bodies are slowly headed in that direction with each passing day. Our life here on earth is one of decay. It's one of spoiling. It's one of wasting away through and through. But maybe the biggest reason that we struggle to live with and expect suffering in this life is because we simply cannot fathom any purposeful, meaning, attached to it in this life. Now, I'm not here to argue on uh, how a good God and deep suffering can coexist in our universe, right? Frankly, because I just don't have the time. But if you're interested in that topic, I'd be happy to point you to some resources. I'm simply asking the question, is it possible that pain and suffering could play a positive role in our lives. Guillermo del Toro, uh, the now well-known famous director recently came out with a stop-motion animated version of Pinocchio and if you've seen it, if you've seen it, you will know that it's very different from the version that we uh, saw growing up from Disney. And he was on <clears throat> Jimmy Fallon some days ago. Jimmy was asking him about some of the reviews that had recently come in, uh, talking about what they consider to be a dark take on the story. Guillermo replies by countering, pushing back a little, saying, actually, no, I think it's actually a thing of beauty. And then he says, you know, Jimmy, in order to appreciate the light, you need darkness. Paul says that for the Christian, suffering produces blessing and life comes through death. Now, don't misunderstand. Right? We're not Greek stoics who believe that suffering is something inherently good and noble. That it should be pursued at all costs. That's not the case. The harm that others have done to you and that you see other people inflict on others is not to be welcomed and accepted. But it does mean that suffering can be meaningful and can make you something beautiful and great. Richard Schroeder, a secular anthropologist, wrote this, For the man of antiquity, the external world was happy and joyous, but the world's core was deeply sad and dark. For the Christian, the external world is dark and full of suffering, but its core is nothing other than pure bliss and delight. This is a paradox that lies at the heart of the Bible. That suffering is to be expected, but that through it, Christians can find life in fact Paul says in verse 17 that the pain and the frailty the weakness and the suffering that we experience only for a moment will not last and in the end will produce this unending or as he puts it this eternal weight of glory now what does he mean by that what is this eternal unending weight of glory that Christians can expect. Number two, life with new bodies. Listen again to how Paul describes it. It can, be, can sound a little bizarre, a little weird. It's kind of archaic language. But chapter five, verse one, he writes this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Now, in this text, Paul is describing what he's doing. He's describing our physical earthly bodies. He calls it our earthly homes as tents, right? So picture this imagery of a tent. That's what he says, our bodies. That's what he uses. That's the metaphor. But then he says that God is preparing for us new bodies that will last forever. And he refers to those as buildings. Up until a couple of years ago, um, we used to do as a church, something out in our fields called camping in the city, where it was for dads and their kids. Sometime in late October or November, we would bring our tents, we would set them up in the fields, and then we'd spend a whole evening with s'mores, grilling, uh, singing, telling stories, And then we'd go into our tent you know, super late into the night and then in the morning we'd have coffee, donuts. And it was just a great time for men to bond and for us to get to spend some time with the kids. And I remember, I think it must have been the first year that I was here. I didn't grow up camping, Uh, I didn't even have a tent. So I had to go buy one and I brought it, set it up as best as I could. But what nobody warned me was about how cold it could actually get in November and how this dew and moisture can begin to build up inside the tent overnight, making it much colder than it actually uh, would be otherwise. And so, what did I do? Well, about midnight, um, I'm on staff here, I have a key card, and so I woke the kids up, (laughs) walked in through the doors, hung out in the great hall, put them in their couches, and said, all right, kids, good night, have fun. Uh, This is where we're staying tonight. Woke up the next morning, and I don't know, if I've ever told that story, uh, but <laughs> that's what we did. I think Rob Hayes might have been the only one that, uh, that saw that. Um, <clears throat> here's the thing about tents. They're fragile and they are weak. They are temporary, they do not last long. You have to repair parts or even repair all of it constantly, every year, every other year, every couple of years. They don't offer great protection. The buildings are strong and they are permanent. They are resilient in the face of any circumstance. Paul says that even if our bodies decay and waste away, even if our health deteriorates, even if we die, we shouldn't worry because God himself is building us new bodies. And unlike our current bodies, those, will never grow old or weak or get tired. They will never age or get sick or get injured or die. Then twice in verses 2 through 4, he talks about realizing that what awaits us. And in the meantime, our bodies just sit and they groan. They are burdened. How many of us are just tired of these creaky, decaying, mortal bodies and wish we could get a replacement, maybe even a refund for what's happening as we get older. You know, our kids have had what seems like this unending cough and sneeze for months now. They're not sick as far as we can tell, but it is a residual of you know, flu that they had months ago. But I'll be honest with you, it. Gets annoying pretty quick. (laughs) Having to remind them, drink water, take a cough drop, drink some medicine, sit up straight when you're in bed, you know, do this, do that. Can you imagine a life where those words will never have to come out of your mouth? Where you will never have to get another flu shot? Where you will never have to go in for another scan? Where you never have to worry about a family member aging, or getting cataracts, or falling down the stairs, or living by themselves at an old age. Too often we thought that the fix then surely must be to die and go to heaven. What Paul says here though, is that actually going to heaven after we die is only halfway to our destination. See, what we really long for and desire, what our hearts groan and ache for, is not just life after death, but as N.T. Wright puts it, life after life after death. New bodies built by God himself in a new creation. A couple of years ago, <clears throat> I got to meet and become friends with a great group of guys who were Uh, just coming out of prison. And they were put up in a halfway house, which is a transitional living facility for folks that are coming out of addiction, or uh, like drugs, alcohol, or coming out of serving some prison time. And as I got to talking to them about their experience, they were grateful to be there. They were grateful to have a, a warm environment. They were grateful to have... A bed, it sure beat the prison cots that they slept in that were two inches thick. But what they really longed for, they dreamt about, was to go back home. Because their family was home. Their friends were home. Their favorite restaurants, their parents, their memories were all back home. See, going to heaven is good. But it's not the ultimate place that God intends for us. In fact, Paul says, again, it's kind of bizarre, I guess, language here. But if you can kind of track with what he's saying. Paul says that dying, leaving your bodies behind and you going to heaven when you die, spirit and soul, is actually like being naked. Because that's not the way God intended things to be. God created us with bodies. And back in Genesis 1 and 2 declared that it was good. We weren't made to just be spirits floating around. So when we die and our body stays buried in the ground and our spirit goes to heaven, that's actually an unfinished product. The goal of existence itself is new bodies built by God that will never ever get sick or forget things, or get an accident. And if you're like, great, I want that. Do I have to wait till I die? What Paul says is that if you're a Christian, you're actually experiencing some of that life now. Verse five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. God has given you His Spirit, His very presence and power to whet your appetite, to give you a preview of what life will be like in a new creation, new heavens, and new earth. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. He is the one who um, guards and protects you from harm, He assists you in prayer. He intercedes with and for you so that you can pray according to God's will. He comforts you with fellowship and with joy. He fills you with all peace. He helps you fight sin. And he fills you with wisdom so that you know how to live a good life and follow God's will. And all of this, Paul says, is still just a deposit. I remember... Buying our first house, having to learn very quickly about things like down payment and earnest money and deposit, which is a set amount of money that we paid up front in order to ensure our lender that we had the capital that we needed to buy our home, to get a mortgage loan. The thing is, at the time, that, those funds basically represented everything that we had. It was our initial investment in our home. Ensuring that, you know, after giving all these thousands of dollars, we wouldn't walk away in a couple of months or even in a couple of years because we would lose that initial investment. God has invested his spirit in you. And yet what you experience now is only a preview to the kind of lives that you will live for all of eternity. One day, you will get to talk to God face to face. You'll get to ask him anything you want to supply your every need, and he will give it to you on a regular basis. That's what awaits us. And so what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Number three, life here and now. Paul, Says to let that future reality affect how you live here and now. Three times throughout this text that we read, Paul tells Christians to not lose heart, to be of good courage. Now this is not some sort of wishful thinking or, you know, Paul dismissing Christians' real suffering in the world. He's not saying, you know, just look at the glass half full, guys. Or just think positive thoughts. Think really, really good thoughts. That's not enough. And that rings hollow. We have to sit at bedsides looking at loved ones breathe their last breath. Because we have to listen to our children struggle with their faith and their identity. Instead. Paul says. That you can have courage. In this life. Because whether you're here on earth in the body. Or in heaven. In the good times. Or the bad times. In health or in sickness. In riches or in poverty. You have Jesus. You have Jesus. And Jesus has you. Paul calls this way of living walking by faith and not by sight. It's this deep abiding sense that in every difficult circumstance Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Even when you can't see him. And see that's that's probably the most difficult thing to hold on to when you're going through faith and uh, through pain and suffering. We begin to wonder whether or not it's worth it, whether or not God really cares, whether or not God really knows. But at the center of our beliefs as Christians is a man claiming to be God who lived a life of poverty and need. Who was rejected by his own family, who was misunderstood by his closest friends, who was betrayed by someone near and dear to him, who was tortured in mind and spirit and in the body, and who died alone on a wooden cross. His last words before dying were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows, and Jesus cares. Jesus gets it, and Jesus gets you. But remarkably, in, in, in a very difficult passage to comprehend... One of his disciples, Peter, will later go on to say that it was God's plan all along from before the world was made for Jesus to suffer and to die like this. See, the Christian teaching is that while you may go through some intense, hurtful circumstances that are often unfair, it cannot compare to the suffering that Jesus went through As he was cut off from God and paid the debt that we owed. In other words, Jesus went through the pain and the suffering on purpose for you and for me. He died so that we would never ever have to wonder or question God's commitment and love for us. You can persist in suffering because you know what's waiting for you on the other side. And because you know who it is that is there walking by your side, giving you strength to keep the faith in the face of adversity, to continue to trust God when you feel like giving up, to encourage others when they're going through tough times, and to hold on to his promises even when it feels impossible to believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, who else can we turn to? Where else can we run to? Only you have words of eternal life. Help us in each of our unique, hurtful, depressing circumstances. That we would learn to see the things that are unseen. That we would have the persistence, the faith to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this by ourselves. We are much too weak and frail. Pour more of your spirit unto each one of us that we would be strengthened for this journey of faith until the day that we see you again. Through Christ our Lord, amen.